Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Sitting down here beside me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Scott Abramson, MD. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Well, I appreciate your time. Scott, you have a new book. It's out in stores now. It's called Bedside Manners for Physicians and Everybody Else what they don't teach in medical school. So, Scott, what can readers expect here? Well, this is a book that comes out of 40-year experience of practicing medicine. I practiced with Kaiser Permanente, and it's about 40 years of listening to stories, really, listening to stories from my staff, from my colleagues, and mostly from patients. And I learned, you know, so much from them and so much about communication with patients and with staff and with colleagues. I also did a lot of work with physician well-being in our organization and talking about resilience and burnout and and those sort of things. But the point is, it's not just about physicians and physician communication. It's about really the communication from any human to another human. And it's about dealing with work-life balance for anybody in any field. Hmm. Scott, is there something in particular that sparked you to write this book? What gave you the idea to go ahead and sit down and get this done? Well, Corey, you know, there were so many stories that just came up. Things like this would happen all the time. Like I'm a neurologist. So I saw people, a lot of people with memory issues, challenges. And so I would evaluate them for Alzheimer's or dementia and that sort of thing. So I see a a lady and I do my tests and my evaluation. And I'm thinking, man, I'm a top-notch neurologist. Why I handle this questionnaire and test her and examine her. And I thought everything went fine. It was great. And a few hours later, she calls my my nurse and says, you know, I'd like to see a new doctor. Hmm. She says, you know, uh, your Dr. Abramson may be a good doctor and he seems to be smart because there's all these diplomas on his wall, but I do not like him. Hmm. She says, you know, he gave me these tests and he told me to remember three things and do some math and draw a clock. And And she said, you know, I know I got some things right, but he never said once that I was doing okay. He never gave me a compliment, you know? And when I heard that, I said, you know, this is such a divulgence in communication. I think I'm doing great, but in reality, I'm doing lousy. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a, there's a quote by George Bernard Shaw. He says, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens with a lot of physicians and a lot of clinicians and a lot of people in any walk of life. And so I realized then that she was right. I mean, I should have said something nice. I should have given her a compliment if she was doing this. Because even people that are memory impaired, they know the value of a compliment. Mm. So things like that would happen, and I would get the, and I would see what would happen in my communication, in communication of my colleagues, and what patients would tell me, and all these things sort of accumulated. And every month. I would write an article for our 10,000 group physician about these issues. But what sparked it, Corey, was incidents like this that happened all the time that showed lack of communication Mm. and the illusion that we think it took place. 
When it came to the publishing side of things, getting things formatted, deciding what the book is actually going to look like, what was the most challenging part about that? Oh, boy. You know, it was always a challenge, you know, with the editing. You know, the editors would, boy, I I didn't realize how bad my grammar was and (laughs) punctuation was, and they just laid it on me. my fifth grade teacher, Miss Dean, would be would be furious at me for all those mistakes. I I guess that was probably the one of the biggest challenges. Do you think you'll be publishing more in the future now? Well, there's a lot of stories that I left out in this book, and and so there's a lot of stories left left over, and there's a lot of stories that that I'm going to be listening to as time goes on, and so who knows. Scott, an awful lot of the people listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out. Do you have any advice for them? You know, I would just say this, listen to the stories all around you, because that's what this book is. It's just an accumulation of stories. And there are stories that happen every day if you just listen. There are certainly a lot of stories around us. And thank you, Scott, for telling yours and using them to reach out and to help others. The title of this book is Bedside Manners for Physicians and Everybody Else, What They Don't Teach in Medical School. This is written by Scott Abramson, M.D., and is published by Covenant Books. You can find this one everywhere, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Scott, thank you again for joining me tonight and telling me about Bedside Manners for physicians and everybody else. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. I appreciate it, Corey. Thank you for calling. The Resurrection of Matthew. It's a new book. It just hit store shelves, and it's written by Thomas Jerky. Thomas is right here, and we're going to chat all about it. Thomas, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Well, it's my pleasure. Thomas, can you tell me what readers are in store for with The Resurrection of Matthew? Well, The Resurrection of Matthew is the story of a young man in his early 30s who is enjoying the, quote, good life, but he's finding his happiness through alcohol and drugs and relationships with women. As he goes on through his process of living, uh, things tend to get darker and darker and more serious as far as his addictions are concerned and starting to affect his ability to really enjoy his life and be productive. The book tells his story initially of the darkness that he goes through, and then he has some warnings that he comes across in the process of living his daily life that makes him realize that he is out of control and he needs help, but he doesn't know how to get that help. And he has never had God in his life. He uh, has never wanted God in his life. Through different circumstances and people that he meets, he finally finds some avenues to try to seek help and does find some improvement, but the real issue is is that he's gonna he's going to need a miracle in his life to be able to pull out of his darkness. And the question is, will that miracle come his way? And if so, by what form? To find the answer, you have to read the book. Mm-hmm. Thomas, to me, I think this is a lifestyle, maybe a situation that so many people find themselves in nowadays. But I think this is great that you've written it. And I assume that there's a beacon of hope at the end of all this. There is. Yes, there is definitely a beacon of hope. And for the ladies out there, there's a little, some nice romance in the book. And the story definitely takes a turn. But of course, I don't want to give it away. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thomas, where did the idea for this story come from? That's an interesting story in itself. I had written three previous books, which were autobiographical, and then I decided I wanted to write a novel. And so I sat down with pencil and pad and uh, came up with absolutely nothing. 
and uh, became very frustrated. As a matter of fact, I was about to give it up, and this actually happened one night in my deep sleep. I suddenly found myself wide awake sitting up in bed, and it was like this story was playing out in front of me of what this novel, what the book should be. Hmm. And the next morning, I got up, and I got my pad and pencil and said a prayer for the Lord to guide me through the story and what He wanted me to say, and I just started writing and basically didn't stop until it was finished. Yeah, it sounds like it was just meant to be. It was just a story that needed to be told. I believe that very sincerely, and I believe that the story was given to me. I didn't really create it myself, in a sense. <laughs> mm. And Thomas, you're an experienced author. What advice would you have to those listening who aren't as experienced, don't even have a book out there at all yet? Well, I think, you know, the first advice is, is come up with a story you want to tell. And that can take many different styles, types, uh, you know, it can be, again, autobiographical, as my first books were, or it can be a children's story, whatever it is, but come up with a story and put pen in hand and just sit down and start writing the story and just developing what it is you want to communicate to people. And the most important thing is, is stick with it and get support. I think that's very important. I've, I have several readers that I, friends that I call upon to help me as I go through the process with my book. And that's very important to get feedback and, and suggestions from others. Absolutely. There's nothing like being able to hold the product of all your efforts. Thomas, what was it like for you whenever you get that first hard copy in and get to hold it and look at that thing that you spent all that time and effort to create? Well, it's a wonderful feeling, and of course, the main thing is that you know a feeling of accomplishment, mm. and uh, that your efforts have paid off. You know, and then being able to to share it with with readers, with people, is just you know, it's a great feeling of accomplishment. Mm. Well, I know a lot of people are really going to be into this novel. I encourage my listeners to check it out. The title is "The Resurrection of Matthew." It's written by Thomas Jerky. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Pick this one up everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Thomas, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about the resurrection of Matthew and everything you got coming up. I hope we get to talk again soon. I hope so, too. Thank you, Corey. It's wonderful right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm joined by author Angel Sear. Angel, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, Corey, thank you so much for having me today. It's my pleasure. It's great you have a new book. It just hit stores. It's titled Miracle in the Carton. Can you tell me what this is all about, Angel? Miracle in the Carton is my life story, everything that I've been through, you know, being abandoned by my mother mm. and, you know, with my father sending me to my grandmother in the village and just living the village life with my grandmother having no means to take care of me with us going through making farm and, you know, just living a village life and having no means of providing anything for me. And I had to go through a lot, a lot of different, different, you know, pains and difficulty. She never had the time to even send me to school. I, I didn't have the time to start school early because my grandmother couldn't afford it. You know, that's what Miracle in the Cartoon Back is about. And it's also about just giving hope to people who are going through the same thing that I've been through. You know, because it's a sad story to see a child who had to go through all these things, you know, from the village. Mm -hmm. And her mother abandoned her in a cartoon, just left the cartoon to her father, though, while he was not around. I mean, something cool happened to me. And I was able to survive all of that and have the opportunity to come in this country. So it's just about everything else that I've been through. 
Wow, Angel, what an amazing story. The village was in West Africa that you were talking about, and it's so important, I think, especially for us Americans, that we understand that these kind of things, this way of life goes on in other countries, and why it's so important that we welcome others. Yes, yes, thank you. So what gave you the inspiration to write your story, Angel? Why did you write this book for the world? My inspiration, like I said, just came from everything that I've been through and then everything that is going on around me. Now we live in a society where so much is going on. And just, you know, after everything that I've been through, I, I sat down and then I just thought about my story. I told a couple of people my story and they were like, oh, Angel, you have a very powerful story. You know, mm. what are you doing about your story? Are you trying to put it out there for people to hear your story? And, you know, I just decided, like, okay, yes, I think, you know, I would just start doing something and put my story together and just be able to share with the world for the world to hear my story. Because I feel like it's a powerful story and it will help a lot of people that are going through a lot right now. People that have been through what I've been through and people who are going through all of that. So I, I thought I should put it out there to give people hope, you know, to give them hopes to tell them that anything is possible. If I can just come from where I came from, the life that I live from, a little village girl, farming with a grandmother, never have food to eat, sleeping in a, a trash houses and all of that, never had the opportunity to go to school. I felt like when some people hear this story, they will be inspired, you know, they will be motivated and hopeful they can do anything to put their mind to. So that was basically my motivation. I'm so glad that you wrote your story for the rest of us, Angel. Did this take you a long time to write? Oh, yes, it did. It took me a couple of years. I started writing Miracle in the Cartoon back in 2018, and I failed a couple of times. And then I almost gave up. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this no more. And then, I, you know, being a mother, I was like, you know what? I don't want, I don't want for my son to see me as a failure, you know? Mm. So let me just try it again. And I started trying again in 2020, and here we are today. Angel, when you look back over it all, what's the most rewarding thing for you now, knowing that you're a published author, you have your story out there for the world? I would definitely say one of the most rewarding part of it is just seeing my books on all platforms, in all stores, and being able to motivate people, to inspire people, because the book is like a hot cake. I didn't believe that it was ready, it was going to be out there at that, but you know, when I see my books online stores and in all bookstores and Barnes and Noble, you know, you know, Barnes and Noble is one of the biggest bookstores in America. And to so know that they carry my books, Amazon, eBay, everywhere, I'm like, oh my God, is this really true? Is this really me? Is this really happening? This is truly a dream come true. America is the country that, you know, once you have the vision, anything is possible. Absolutely. I know a lot of readers are going to love this outstanding story. The title is Miracle in the Carton. It's written by Angel Sear and is published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can buy this book everywhere. Check out Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play. Like Angel said, traditional brick-and-mortar stores have it, too. Angel, thank you for joining me on the show and telling me about your life story and about this wonderful book. I hope we get to chat again sometime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm open to that. And thank you so very much for having me. Under the Rainbow. This is a new book. It just hit store shelves. It's written by Ira Rubin. And Ira is right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. Ira, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, Ira. Thanks for your time. Can you tell me all about Under the Rainbow? I started writing my poetry when I was 12 years old. 
And I wrote a poem every day until I was 44 years old. And after that, I slowed down a little. I wrote a poem every two or three days for another couple of years. Well, it started when I was, uh, I had an uncle who lived with his parents in, in C8 in Brooklyn. And uh, he lived in a large house. When he moved to Manhattan into an apartment, he couldn't take all his books with him. So he left uh, like about 200 books at my parents' house. He had a finished attic with a number of bookshelves, built-in bookshelves. And I've read a number of the books that he left. One of them was a book on Turkish poetry. Hmm. And what fascinated me is that I noticed that if you change the meaning of one word in a sentence, it changes the meaning of the complete sentence. Hmm. And, and that, as I said, fascinated me. And that's when I started writing poetry. I don't know when the poems were written in the book. I, the first poem in the book I wrote is one of my early poems. I wrote it when I was 12 or 13 years old. The, the others, I, I just didn't keep track of. What sorts of readers do you think would be into your poetry, Ira? I worked at Columbia University for 33 years, and almost every year I heard a co-ed say, whatever happened to rhyme poetry? So apparently there are people who miss that. Mm. And I did, too. I haven't read poetry in many years. Of course, I don't understand today's poetry. It sounds like uh, either a stream of consciousness with tacky words at random and gluing them together or uh, laundry lists. And I wish somebody would explain it to me so I could enjoy them, too. <laughs> well, prior to Under the Rainbow, have you been published before? No, I haven't. When you got the first physical copy of Under the Rainbow in after you'd worked on putting it all together all that time, Ira, what was that moment like for you? It had to have been a special one. No, I didn't feel any different than I did before. I mean, I wasn't euphoric or anything. I just accepted it, that's all. What are the chances that we'll be seeing more books from you in the future? Yes, I'm, I started writing again. Hmm. But it's it's going very slowly because at my my age my uh, priorities change so it's it's not at the top of my list anymore. When it comes to publishing a book and doing everything that's required to get your book out there, do you have any advice for people who are just about to embark on that journey for the first time? Oh boy, <laughs> there's a lot to know about technically about poetry. I got a, a good book on, on prosody; it might help. If you have a good ear, you can forget all the rules, you know. Mm. For example, uh, Emily Dickinson mostly used slant rhyme. They weren't actual rhymes, but it sounded good to her ear. That's what I think would-be poets should be judged by. However, I think if a poet knows something about the technical side, he would, in my opinion, he or she would be a better poet. Mm. I mean, there are only four meters used in uh, English poetry. The Iamtrochi, uh, Anapest, and Dactu. So that's easy to master. But you should know what meters to use with what type of poems. You should be familiar with the fixed forms, especially the French fixed forms. You should know how to vary the sesora. You should know where to break a line if it's carried over to uh, another line. Then there's distributed stress and, uh, and other things too. But as I say, if you have a good ear and you're happy with what you're writing, then it, it doesn't matter what other people think. Well, I think a lot of my listeners are really going to be into your book, Ira, and I encourage my listeners to check it out. It's titled Under the Rainbow. This is written by Ira Rubin, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, of course, on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. 
Ira, thank you again for joining me here at the show tonight and telling me all about your poetry and about Under the Rainbow. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you for uh, talking with me, and have a great evening. Sitting down with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Stephen G. Koutner. Stephen, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the offer. I appreciate your time. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's called Anna's Story, a true story of a young girl's will to survive in the aftermath of World War II. So, Stephen, this sounds great. What are readers in store for here? Well, this is a story about a period of history that very few people know about. It actually takes place after World War II ended. Hmm. And what sparked the idea for this? What gave you the idea to write this story? Well, it was my mother's idea. Actually, I gave her the idea of writing the story. She told me about her childhood when I was in my early 20s, and I I had no idea that she had gone through what she did. And I told her at that time that she should write a book. From that time, she started collecting all her memoirs and pictures and articles and amassed a huge amount of data. And she had someone else write the story for her, but she was not happy with the way it was turning out. And somewhere along the way, she had this idea that I could write the story for her. Who better could write the story but her own son? Right. So she gave me all her memoirs and the whole stack. It must have been a foot high of information that she passed to me. And I sat on it for probably 10 years and I just didn't know what to do with it. I'd never written a book and I just didn't know how to start. All of a sudden, one winter when it was raining, I live in Washington State, when it was raining constantly, I sat down at my computer and I started writing this story and I did not stop for four months straight. I was at the computer almost 24 hours. I I'd hardly slept at all. I was just hammering this thing out and to my amazement, it, it turned out pretty good. What was that moment like for you, Stephen, when you got that first hard copy in, you got to hold this thing that you've been working on for so long? That was the whole the icing on the cake. Mm. That was the best part of, of the whole thing was to actually bring this thing to fruition. And I did it before my mother passed away. That was the mm. one thing I worried about was that, you know, she's in her upper 80s, almost 90 now. And I was afraid that I wouldn't make it before she passed away. But I did make it and she got all her books and she's very happy. Well, that's fantastic. It sure can be a learning experience doing that for the first time, Stephen. So what advice would you have for those listening out there who are the aspiring authors looking to get their first book out there? Can you give them any advice? Well, the only advice I can give them is to wait till the time is right. I kind of knew in my heart that eventually the time would be right to write the story, and it did come around. And so just not stress out, you know, that you had to write the story, but just wait until it came to you naturally. Mm. You said once you started sitting down and writing this thing, you didn't want to get up until it was finished. You were writing a lot. Did you ever hit anything like writer's block or maybe sometimes when the writing got challenging, you didn't know what to write next? And then how did you get through those? 
Well, there were always times like that, but they didn't last very long because I was pretty charged up about getting it done once I started. Mm. I didn't really have any, any writer's blocks. Not during the process of writing the story. It was after I finished and I had submitted the manuscript to the publisher. It was after that time that I started having writer's block about certain aspects that I had to change in the story. Oh, what an important story you've told here. I know a lot of readers are really going to like this. It's called Anna's Story, a true story of a young girl's will to survive in the aftermath of World War II. This is written by Stephen G. Kautner and is published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can get this one everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Stephen, it was really great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for telling me about your book and about your mother's life. I hope we get to talk again sometime. Yes, thank you. Sitting down here beside me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Joan Paris. Joan, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Corey. It's a pleasure. It's only God's grace. The pleasure is all mine, Joan. Thank you so much for your time. You have a new book out in stores right now called God's Plan. Can you tell me all about this book, Joan? Yes, God's Plan is an inspiration. This book, it motivates you to the view of life that you have. More people would view it as I have if they are spiritual. So you're reaching out to primarily a Christian audience then with this? Christian and non-Christian, because it has valuable things that would motivate them. If they endure certain things in life, they will deeply appreciate this book. Hmm. Was this a book that took you a long time to write and publish, Joe? No. Actually, it only took me seven months. And what sparked you to write this? Where did the idea come from? The Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God is amazing. Mm. It sounds like you've led quite an extraordinary life, especially when it comes to your relationship with God. Yes, definitely. I spend more time praying and praising God more than anything else. Mm. Joan, when it comes to writing and being published, is this your first time in that arena? No, actually, um, I have written my first book in 2021, To Belong, My Seed in the Ground Speak Louder Than Any Enemy's Voice, but I wrote it on The Remnant Child. Do you think you have more in you? Do you plan on writing and publishing more in the future? Yes, I have started several books, two more, hmm. actually. So I have that on the table right now. That's fantastic. There's nothing like seeing the product of all that hard work, all that time that you've put into something. So, Joan, when you get the first copy in, like when you got God's plan in, you got to hold it for the first time and look at what you've created, what was that moment like for you? It was like, oh, my God, I just put my hands up and thank God for his grace in my life. Mm -hmm and what he has done for me, because I have never dreamt of being an author. A lot of people listening right now, Joan, are authors who are just starting out. They want to get their first book out there, too. Do you have any advice from what you've learned that you could tell them? Stick to what you have inside, because it will come out as you start writing, once you depend on God. When you look back over all the time and work that you put into this, Joan, what's the most rewarding aspect, would you say, of now being a published author? 
But every day I can um, look at the cover and say, you know, God has done this for me. And people will see that there is value in other people instead of just looking at them at face value. The cover is so important. It's the first thing that people see when they're looking at books often. So, Joan, when it comes to the cover, it's beautiful. What does it mean to you? It means that it will attract the right people because it speaks to me mm-hmm. when I see the cover. It speaks to me. It's hard to go at something like this alone, Joan. It's hard to write a book and publish a book. It's so much work like we were talking about. Are there people that you have in your life who knew that you were writing this, knew that you were taking a big project like this on? They could be there to maybe be inspirational or motivational for you. My spiritual father, Alf Lukau, he has been um, inspiration for me to write. He said, try to do something for yourself. There is something in everyone mm-hmm. that needs to give birth to. And I took it and I ran with it. Sometimes for a lot of us writers, it's not always easy. Sometimes you get writer's block, or sometimes you just don't have the ideas for where to take your book next. Joan, do you deal with those sorts of challenges? And if you do, how do you get through them? Actually, I do sometimes, and I just put the book aside, put the writing aside, and start praying and meditating, and just block out everything else. And then it starts flowing freely. Writing starts come like nothing. I know a lot of readers are going to find a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration in this book. The title is God's Plan. This is written by Joan Paris, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Joan, it's been wonderful having you on the show and talking with you today. Thank you again for being here. It's a pleasure being here, and thank you for having me. The Greatest Show on Earth. It's the new book. It's in stores right now, and it's written by Silas Weir. I'm really happy that Silas is sitting right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. Silas, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me here tonight. Well, thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Well, the pleasure's all mine. Silas, what can readers expect in The Greatest Show on Earth? A true life story of my travels from coming out as a gay individual at age 60 after 37 years of marriage and the fight that I kind of fought those 37 long years and just the background of what I went through and what others tend to go through but fail to talk about or write about. I'm hoping that it didn't take you all 37 of those years to write the book. How long did this take you to write? It took me about six months. I did it down during the COVID pandemic because uh, I had plenty of time to do it. Was this the first time you've written a book or been published? Yeah, this is my first one. I just knew I had to put a pen to paper, and I knew I had to get this story out. So this is my first published novel, yes. Well, congratulations. Such a huge thing. Thank you. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. What advice would you have to people who are aspiring authors as well? They want to get their first book out there. It's not easy, for sure. It's not, but if you have a story to tell... Just start writing notes down and start thinking about the travels that you've had, the troubles that you've been through, and the mountains you're about to climb. It was my best therapy, Mm. my absolute best therapy. Silas, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into this book? Was it primarily like an LGBTQ kind of thing? Yes, it was. Plus, I want to reach out to the millions of men and women that are pretty much going through the same thing that I went through. 
I just want to let them know that they're important and that there's a great life to live and to put your real true self out there and not hide behind the curtain. That's kind of like the cover of the book. I wanted it to be like, don't hide behind the curtain, step out on the stage and be your honest, true self. I can only imagine that moment when you got the first hard copy in of this, Silas, after all that time, and it wasn't an easy book for you to write, I could gather. So what was the moment like when you got to hold this first one in your hands? Well, I got goosebumps at first, and I was a big smile on my face, and I just couldn't believe that I actually accomplished this task. And it was something that I had always dreamed about doing, but I just never really put the pen to paper. It was a very uh, satisfying experience, very rewarding. Do you think you have another book in you, Silas? Do you think you'll do it again? Well, I'm thinking about doing a prequel. I've got some uh, notes down right now, and I've been talking to a lot of my friends and family, and they feel that I've got one in me. So I kind of go along with that. So I think something is going to come out and about, but I can't put a timeline on it yet. But I look forward to getting it down there. Mm. It's hard to go at this kind of thing alone, Silas. Did you have anybody in your life who knew you were doing this, and they could be there to maybe encourage you and back you up along the way? Well, my my husband was probably one of my biggest supporters, and I had a sister-in-law and a younger brother that really kind of motivated me to really put this down to paper. And just with their support and their love and everything, I just thought, you know what, this is going to come true, so let's just get it started. And I imagine the writing process itself wasn't always easy. You know, you come up on some challenges sometimes. Maybe you get a little writer's block, or maybe you get a little stuck for ideas. So, Silas, do you have a strategy for getting through those tough times? Yeah. The funny thing about this book is that I wrote a lot of it when I was at my job because I worked for an airline. And during the pandemic, we had so much downtime that I found myself more comfortable writing it from work. It just kept a clear mind for me to put it down. Mm. At home, I did a little bit. And on the road, I did a couple chapters along the way. But most of it I did at work. Silas, he said this was a story that really just needed to get out there. Right. For you, what's the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now that you look back on it all? Well, I just feel accomplished. And I just feel like I put out a guideline or a story that so many can connect with that are stuck in the same situation that I was. And that was the basis of the story. I wanted to get my therapy down. I wanted others to feel okay about the way they feel and the way they, you know, how they live their lives and to let them know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, to not be afraid to be yourself and step forward. Well, this book has an important message, and I know a lot of people are going to find hope and encouragement in it. It's called The Greatest Show on Earth. It's written by Silas Weir and is published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Silas, thank you again for joining me here and telling me about your work. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Well, I really appreciate it, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Author Sherry Fortner is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and her new book is part of the Forever series. It's titled... Forever Fallen, Book One, A Knack Trilogy. We're going to talk all about it right now. Sherry, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's my pleasure. Sherry, what are readers in store for in Forever Fallen? Well, a little romance, some action, some history, several things. And what's the story that you tell? Well, 
one rainy weekend, I was intrigued by an article I read about the book of Enoch. In Genesis 5.24, it says that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. I was interested enough to find the book of Enoch online and begin reading. And according to the book of Enoch, Enoch knew the fallen angels by name and told of their deeds on earth. Enoch also went into great detail about the race of the giants. Enoch says the angels, Gabriel, Uriel, Michael, and Raphael, went before God and told God that the giants consumed all of men's goods and then began to kill men and drink their blood. God, very exciting <laughs> book, by the way. Wow. God said he would turn the hearts of the giants against one another so they would kill each other off. I began to think perhaps there was one left standing and that perhaps he was good like his human mother and not a monster like the other giants. That is where the protagonist, in my imagination of my story, Zell was born. Forever Fallen is set in the suburb of Atlanta where my heroine Annie is a high school senior, and she is living a nightmare. She's experiencing premonitions that something dark and sinister stalks her. When a handsome new student, Zell Starr, shows an interest in her, Annie instantly has a foreboding that something's not quite right with him. She's torn between an instant attraction and the feeling that he's dangerous. Annie wonders if he is the root of her nightmares and premonitions. When Annie is attacked one evening in the parking lot of school, it begins a chain of events that leads her to believe she is a destiny that will one day change the world. She becomes torn between her feelings for Zell and her suspicions that he may be behind these heinous attacks. Annie and her friends are swept up into a war that is as ancient as time as monsters of the dark pursue her and the magnificent one protects her. Wow, sounds like quite a story, Sherry. What kind of readers do you think would be into this? Well, actually, that weekend, I started jotting down a few pages of my story, and I was actually teaching writing in English in middle school at that time. Hmm. So on Friday, I took my pages in and I read them to my students, and they were enamored and wanted more. It it was about the time that Twilight had come out, and it was all the rage, and there was not many other books like that. Mm. So they just kept after me to write more and more. So I did. But that being said, that I actually wrote it for my middle and high school students, it really transcends age barriers, and some of my most ardent fans are adult women. Mm. As one woman in a review put it, uh, it's a clean romance story with no explicit sex. But the romance side doesn't suffer a bit from its absence. Sherry, I know this is a series. So how far out do you have these planned or written so far? Well, I've got books one and two, Forever Fallen and Forever Girl is the second book. And then I'm currently working on the third book. It'll be Forever Something, yet untitled, though. Prior to Forever Fallen, had you ever written or published before? No, I haven't. I just taught students how to do it. So I finally tried it on my own. (laughs) Sherry, a lot of our listeners are authors who are just starting out. They haven't got a book out there, but they're looking to do it. What advice could you offer them? Do not give up. Writing is work. Keep at it. Make notes. I have ideas all the time, yet I forget half of them if I don't write them down. I have ideas for many other books written down or in my phone, whatever it close when I idea occurs. But the number one thing I could tell them is just to keep working at it. Reread your writing and make changes, embellish, give great details. That would be my advice. That's good advice. I know a lot of people are really going to be into this book and ought to check it out. The title is Forever Fallen, Book One, A Knack Trilogy. The series is the Forever Series, and this is written by Sherry Fortner. 
You can find this everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and this is published by Covenant Books. Well, Sherry, I really appreciate you coming on the show here today and telling me all about your work. I hope we can do this again sometime. I do, too. I hope we have one on my second book, too. There's a gutsy new book out in the stores right now written by Charles Cluxon, and the title is just that, Gutsy. I'm really happy that Charles is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about Gutsy? What are readers in store for here? Well, the readers are in store for quite a bumpy ride. It's, it's a cute little story. It's about a young cub who takes on an evil villainous professor, and he finds that he's building something. It's, it's a machine, and he's very concerned. So he takes it upon himself to find out all about what this professor's doing and so on and so forth. And one thing leads to another, and, well, the readers are just going to have to find out what happens. Mm. And what kinds of readers did you write Gutsy for? Basically, it's for all readers. I mean, I wanted it to be a children's story between the ages of 2 to 12, but I've had adults reading it, and the reviews from them have been quite exceptional. They love it. Now, can you tell me about how this book came about? What sparked you to write the story and then publish it? Actually, it came to me in a dream. Hmm. I had this really weird dream, and I can remember every detail. I'm like, I could turn this into a book. I'm like, I think I'm going to do just that. But I'm like, I could either turn it to a horror story or I thought I'd turn it to a children's book. And I'm like, you know, so I went with the latter. Now, once you got the idea to start the book, did the whole thing take a long time until you got it actually published? Well, after I got it written, it took me about two and a half months to write. But it took me four years to publish. I didn't have the fundage. I wasn't working at the time. And I was basically saving up, doing what I can to, you know, doing odd jobs. And eventually got it started. So four long years in the making. <laughs> wow. Is this the first time you've ever done that then? Is this the first time you've ever written or published? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, you should be. It's a big deal to get something like that done. Charles, what would you say was the most challenging part of the whole thing for you? I didn't run into a few bumpy roads. You know, I had writers blocking on certain parts. So I consulted with my wife and I told her, I'm like, well, this is what's going on. You know, how can we go about work this into it? and so she's, she's been a big help into the book as well. After all that time, when you finally got that first physical copy in, Charles, you got to hold it, look at it for the first time. What was that moment like for you? Oh, oh I was ecstatic. Mm. Absolutely ecstatic. And, and there's a story behind that. My son told me that I had a box in the living room. I'm like, okay, I didn't order anything. So I'm like, so what could this be? So I'm like, I took my box cutter from work, and I'm like, oh, and I'm literally cutting this thing open like a surgical incision. <laughs> I'm like, anything could have been in there. I didn't know. So I opened it up, and it was like paper, and I'm like, oh, great. Somebody played a prank on me. Thanks. <laughs> I started pulling out the paper, and then all of a sudden, I saw my book, and just complete joy overcame me. I'm like, oh, it's here. <laughs> it's here. So, yeah, it was, I was super stoked about it. That's awesome. Charles, what are the chances you do it again? Do you have plans for maybe a sequel to Gutsy or another kind of book in the future? Actually, I do. I do have a sequel coming. It's in the works. It's in the works. I haven't got it fully written yet, but I'm definitely writing a sequel to it. I wanted to leave it open-ended, you know, about the professor taking revenge. And so I figured, why not? 
Writing a book and publishing a book for the first time can be quite the learning experience, which I'm sure you're well aware of, Charles. Oh, yeah. So through all that oh, yeah. now, do you have any advice that you could offer for the aspiring authors out there? Always go for your dreams. When if, if somebody says that you can't do something because there's a lot of writers out there and they're trying to make their name, don't listen to them. If you have a dream to become a published author, then go for it. It's always been it's always been a dream of mine to become a published author. I just didn't know how about you know how to go about doing it until I actually wrote a paper in college about sharks. You know how they make shark fin soup and everything, and how they kill all these thousands and thousands of sharks for just that shark fin soup, and they toss the body in the water and keep the fins itself. Mm. I mean, ever since I got that good grade on the paper, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to write. So that's when Gutsy started coming about, and I got it in the works. I think a lot of people are going to really be into this book. It's titled Gutsy. It's written by Charles Cluxon, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this one everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Charles, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight and telling me all about Gutsy. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Same here. It's good to hear from you. The Rough Side of the Mountain. That's the new book. It's in stores right now, and it's written by Olajuwon Sol. And Olajuwon is right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. Olajuwon, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Olajuwon, what can readers expect in The Rough Side of the Mountain? Well, they can expect a great testimony. You know, mm. I showed a lot of resiliency and a lot of passion and, you know, a lot of determination. So, you know, overcame a lot of obstacles and they can find that there. Can you tell me a little bit about the story that you tell in it? Um, it's basically my trials and tribulations I went through. You know, I, I went to college and, you know, we really couldn't afford it. And I had to drop my housing and stuff like that. And mm. that opened my eyes on, you know, a lot of things like helping the homeless because, you know, I just only got a taste of it. But I, I was like, man, people live this life every day. Mm. So that's what it's mainly about, my obstacles I overcame in life. What sparked the idea to write this? What inspired you? To be honest, I was just trying and I, I was like, okay. I'm good at writing essays and stuff, you know. I said, you know what? Hey, man, see if you can write a book. And I just stayed with it, and I did it, you know. So that's what really inspired me, like, just trying something new. Hmm. Was it a long process to write and then get published? Yes, sir, because uh, <laughs> it took me, like, two years. Hmm. Because, you know, I was so caught up in life. And, you know, when writing a book, you have to be focused, focused. And I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that's the most challenging thing about the whole thing, just staying focused and staying on task with it? Yes, sir. That's the most challenging thing because, you know, a lot of stuff happened in life and you get thrown off course. What was it like then after those two years, all the work that you put into this, and you finally got the first hard copy and got to hold it and look at it for the first time? Olajuwon, what was that moment like? Oh, man, it was it was amazing. I was like, man, like, I really just wrote a book and got it published. That's something where I'm from, it's not coming. Like, nobody's ever did it, and I was the first person to do it. So it's like, man, like, you're different. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you would do it again? Do you have plans to maybe write another and publish more? Uh, yes, sir. I got two more I'm writing on, but uh, I'm halfway done with them. Yeah, they can expect, like, some more from me. That's fantastic. 
You know, Lajuan, a lot of people listening right now are authors who are also just starting out. They're aspiring authors. Do you have any words of wisdom you could offer? Keep going, man. Stay focused. You can be whatever you want to be in life. And, you know, just stay focused, man, and keep going first. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with The Rough Side of the Mountain? Who do you think would be most into it? The people who who have kind of been through, you know, things in life, those are the ones that can relate to my book. Hmm. Now, after all the time and hard work that you put into this, Olajuwon, what would you say now is the most rewarding part of knowing that you're a published author and your work is out there for the world? Well, I see myself on Google, Hmm. you know, my book and everything, you know, just pulling up my book and knowing that it's selling, you know, that was rewarding to me. Like, man, you really did it, you know. Hmm. Did you ever encounter challenges while you were writing this? Maybe writer's block. You just have no idea what to write or you didn't have the ideas for where to go next. How do you get through stuff like that? Well, it was easier this time because I had actually been through some of that. So, like, it was easy for me to just keep writing. Hmm. And uh, how do I get through stuff like that? Or I take a break, man. I have to stop, maybe come back a couple of days later or, you know, a month later and come up with a new idea and just put it on the paper, you know. Hmm. When you were writing The Rough Side of the Mountain, Olajuwon, did you find yourself doing it in a routine, maybe first thing in the morning or maybe at night? Or did you find yourself writing whenever you had the time or ideas? I really found myself doing it when I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm about to start writing. You know, like, Hmm. okay, let me get everything out of the way and just start writing. Finish this book. That was just my main focus. Like, we got to get it finished. Hmm. I know a lot of readers are going to get a lot out of this book, and you ought to check it out. The title is The Rough Side of the Mountain. It's written by Olajuwon Sol, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Olajuwon, thank you again for joining me here at the show and telling me all about your work. I hope we can talk again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 